Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Business of Restoration by Next Gear Solutions, a podcast exploring technology and the best practices in the restoration industry. Welcome to the Business of Restoration. This is Garrett Gray, and my guest today is Chris Pegg. Chris is the Senior Director of Wealth um, at planning for Wells Fargo Private Bank. He leads a team of 30 CPAs and tax lawyers who provide critical information to clients at the private bank. Uh, he is a former practicing tax and estate planning attorney and was board certified in tax law. Uh, he has been cited often in New York Times and other national publications to discuss uh, changes in tax law and wealth planning in general. Uh, welcome, Chris. Thanks for joining us today. I'm glad to be here. Thank you so much for having me. So this is kind of a crazy topic. Uh, you and I, one, are not together. Um, we are uh, both uh, held up uh, in our own homes. And, and so I'll you know uh, apologize ahead of time to you and to anybody listening to this if there are screaming children in the background. Um, as we are, you know, this podcast is being recorded in, in the days of COVID. Um, mm-hmm. uh, it's <laughs> quite a challenge to do anything normally, but thank you for taking the time uh, to spend some time with us. Um, one other thing I want to get out of the way just as a, a kind of housekeeping is, you know, today uh, is a bit of a different type of episode. Um, mostly this will be targeted at uh, um, owners of restoration companies, which a lot of our content um, is, um, but this will be more than normal. And, you know, we're going to be discussing a wide range of things from um, the you know, PPP funding that the government uh, uh, just made a part of the stimulus package uh, to kind of help our economy get going and, and how that may apply uh, to, to restoration contractors. Um, but it, we're also going to be talking about generational wealth planning and you know, uh, a whole bunch of other strategies that you know, we kind of force us to give a bit of a disclaimer here. So one, uh, neither I um, nor Chris here or anybody who's listening's tax attorney or CPA. Uh, we are you know, giving directionally, hopefully accurate advice or not even advice, but information. And uh, you should get uh, your own professional consultation before you uh, make any sort of major moves. But hopefully today's uh, um, information will be helpful. Did I... Chris, was that enough uh, of a disclaimer that yeah, uh, Wells Fargo will be okay? <laughs> I, I, thank you. I think that's great. I mean, it, it is very clear and certainly conversations that we constantly have with some of our best clients is we just want to give, give our clients an understanding of the context of tax law as it changes and what kind of opportunities are available and what they should be thinking about. Certainly, we never attempt to replace CPAs or other tax advisors, attorneys and the like. And, and our clients are all very well represented from that perspective as well. We just want to make sure that we're holistic in the way that we coordinate that. So the same here, we're certainly not going to provide anything that means you wouldn't need your own CPA or tax attorney for some of this stuff, but at least we can discuss a little bit directionally how you should be thinking about some of these things. Yeah, great. Well, so Chris, uh, just to give you some background, you know, restoration contractors are really kind of the heart of, I think, what's going to be the response to COVID. Um, it, so our, our uh, uh, listeners are, are the type of uh, companies that go in and clean up uh, all sorts of uh, properties when there's been certain perils. So anything from yeah. 
a tornado to an earthquake to even biohazard and other sorts of dangerous uh, and difficult things that need to be cleaned up. So COVID fits directly into um, uh, their response. Uh, so, uh, you know, I think it's really great that you're taking some time to, to give some um, you know, information to this particular group of, of individuals because, you know, making sure that they um, are able to take advantage of stimulus um, as they're clearly affected um, and make sure that they are able to not only stay in business, but keep their employees um, uh, employed, not just to help yeah. the economy, which, you know, is obviously, you know, something that we're all trying to do. Um, but these are the people that are going to be responding to making sure um, parks and businesses and yes. and uh, um, homes are safe uh, as as we come back to work and so right. I think this is really important uh, for information absolutely. for for this group so I appreciate your time with this absolutely so this is changing day by day um, <laughs> I know that you know we uh, we've been uh, trying to schedule uh, um, doing this podcast and every time we do there's some new development and so some of uh, how we thought about talking about this sometimes gets stale so knowing that that we'll record this and, and put it out, you know, in the next day or so, hopefully this information stays relevant, but tell me, you know, what, what do we know about the payroll protection program and what can you tell us on how borrowers are expected to use this money and what the requirements are? Yeah, those are really good questions. And um, you are so right that things are changing day by day. I have been in the financial industry and I've been in part of tax law changes and I've been part of aid that gets distributed and all kinds of things. We have never seen this kind of speed around uh, a program. We've never seen the changes that occur as quickly as they do. So there's everything Everything um, I say today may could be somewhat different tomorrow, but I think we do have pretty good rules of the road at this point. And to your point earlier, I mean, the, this exists so that people can keep their employees on payroll because what, what we don't want to have happen, obviously, is all of these wonderfully successful businesses, rest, uh, restoration businesses, for instance, that have to either furlough or let people go because there's no work right now. Well, then what happens when everything starts back up? The process of trying to rehire is so much more difficult than if we can just keep them on staff for the time being. That gives us the opportunity to really come out of this in hopefully the kind of V-shaped recovery that, that people would love to see. Obviously, there's no guarantees to that, but that's why it exists and it's doing a relatively good job at that considering the speed with which it, it has occurred. So I'll talk a little bit about um, the, the basically the, what the loan process is and how that works. Now, I do want to take a second to mention that I do work at Wells Fargo. I'm part of the private bank. I'm in the wealth planning group for the private bank, and we help our clients think through a lot of things, including uh, PPP. Uh, but to be clear, I'm not on the lending side. And so I do have enough knowledge to know that we have decked a tremendous amount of really talented people to work through these PPP applications as they're occurring now. And by the time this podcast is out, maybe this will be old news. But I just want to make sure it's clear that I don't have any specific transparency into what the loan process is right now at Wells Fargo or any other bank, except, of course, to recognize that boy, people are working fast and hard to try to do the right things for all of their clients. Um, there so, seems to be a lot of confusion, though, around you know who can apply and when they can apply. Yeah. Yet, even with all the confusion, the money's going fast. So some people are not confused. Well, th well, that's right. I mean, I think there is a natural sort of confusion of well, if I went to a if I went to a website of a of a bank and and gave them my information, is that is that sort of am I indicating my interest or is the application occurring there? And and every every bank is 
handling that differently. But there is a lot of application being done through and we're getting a lot of positive response and a lot of people are getting their loans funded. And so the way to go to how that works is essentially an operating business with less than 500 employees can take look at the payroll, multiply that by two and a half times and use that as their their average annual payroll for 2019 and use that uh, two and a half times that payroll is their loan request, essentially. Now, I know sometimes a lot of industries have sort of um, it's, it's more seasonal. And so if there is a seasonable issue there, then you can actually look at the payroll from February to June of 2019. If you'd rather not average it over, if you'd rather be more tactical and specific about what your typical employment is like right now, you can look to 2019 again, February to June. And if for some reason the the uh, the person making the request was not in business from uh, as of June of 2019, they can actually use January and February of this year. But I believe that's only if you weren't in business before. I don't think, although this is one of those things that's not clear, I don't think the January, February of 2020 test is available unless you were not in business as of June of last year. And of course, you have to have been in business by February 15th of this year to be eligible at all. That makes sense. Got it. So it, so for uh, for contractors who are struggling to get into people's homes, right? So one of the one of the reasons that uh, um, our segment is being hit isn't necessarily because the work has dried up. In fact, um, you know, as we are potentially going to be the group that will be responding to uh, COVID cleanup related items, like this group, you know, will probably get you know, more work um, sure. when we start to open up than, than, than they did before. I, I think the main problem that we're seeing, at least in the data that we're, that we trend and, and, and look at is that you know, there's a lot less people who are willing to let people on their property. And so I think, you know, part of the test here is to, to see a drop in business. It, do you, do you know if, if a drop in business um, has to be, you know, how, how are they, how are they yeah. uh, deciding that's, what's a drop in business? That's a really good question. And the, and the only thing that we have any clarity on right now is basically what the question is. And the question uses the word necessary. Uh, was it necessary for you to have, um, did, did an impact of COVID create, um, make it necessary for you to essentially receive these loans. In fact, I, I could even pull up, maybe pull that language up, but the word is, was it necessary? And we've even, we've even seen some press, you know, from the government about, Hey, uh, some people got loans that maybe wasn't the initial intention of the, of the <laughs> program. And so the question then is, all right, you did get it because you in fact qualified, you went through all of the, you went through all the technicalities, but one of those technicalities is you claiming that it was going to be necessary um, for your business uh, to, to continue to operate. And so if you are in an industry that is either buoyed by this or just isn't negatively impacted, you may have an issue with that loan. It may need to get repaid rather than a forgiven in the process that a lot of people will be thinking about. So I, I am pretty confident that this is necessary for our customers. Although again, <laughs> get your own t advice from uh, sure. attorneys and your CPAs, um, given just the fact that you know, people are not letting people in their homes. I think that's a very direct um, consequence of, of, of the COVID uh, pandemic. Um, but it sounds like even if for some reason uh, somebody applied, was given a loan and, and 
for some reason they came back and said that was not necessary. That didn't qualify. The worst case scenario is that loan is just not forgiven and they just pay back the loan just like they would have. Again, that's not clear. And so I don't want to try to give it a legal okay. opinion. But, but, but my, <laughs> sure. my expectation is that you're exactly right. I mean, especially with the speed with which this happened, you could certainly forgive people for thinking, I don't know what's going to happen, but I need to get in line now because if this economic uncertainty does create a problem for me, I, I will I will have, at least I will have already applied rather than be too far behind to get this. So I can't imagine that um, there would be a significant backlash against those who were willing to repay the loan, even if they didn't necessarily need it. That's my, that's my, that's my own opinion. It's my suspicion about that. That, of course, does not have anything to do with whether or not anyone's providing any kind of fraudulent information about sure. that stuff, anything else. That, that, that changes the, the, the landscape dramatically. Well, I'm sure everyone listening uh, saw things like Ruth Chris, who clearly has more than 500 employees um, and some other uh, um, organizations that created uh, sub uh, companies very quickly um, <laughs> and then somehow uh, thought they qualified. Right. I, I think most of that money's being returned. I, I, <laughs> that, I read what you read in the newspaper and I, I think you're right. <laughs> I believe that's right. I'm not sure how they got where they got. And there certainly are a lot of complexities. And there are in, there are circumstances, of course, where even though it, it looks to the public like it's one big business, you know, franchises are frequently this way. The, the fact is that it's one person, one family is responsible for this franchise and they need help. And maybe that franchise does itself qualify. So you can appreciate why sometimes that's the right thing. And then sometimes you could tell just from the facts that this was a little bit uh, that, that the rules got whipsawed here and benefited those that it shouldn't have. And we're, we're certainly going to see stories like that. And and I know that you can't give an opinion on this, but any you know information you can give would be helpful. And feel free just to say you, you can't answer. But sure. um, a lot of our listeners are um, you know, members of franchises, so mm -hmm. we have a lot of independents um, that just are you know completely independent uh, restoration mm -hmm. companies, and then we have a ton of uh, uh, restoration companies that belong to a franchise, but they are independently owned and operated. Um, do we know if, if uh, franchises do qualify if they're independently owned and operated or do they get lumped in with the rest of their franchisees? Well, unfortunately, that's not entirely clear. It depends a lot on the actual relationship that you have. Not all franchises operate the same. The SBA itself has, of course, been giving loans for a very long time. And as part of their loan application process and the rules that are involved, they have a whole affiliation guide. That is to say, if you're going to consider yourself a small business, what affiliation do you have to other businesses so that are you trying to represent as two businesses when in fact you're one or anything like that? And so those rules exist out there. And if you just Google SBA affiliation rules and just make sure you end up at probably a .gov address because there are, you know, there's the SBA.com, which is not in fact the government, uh, but does have some interesting information. But the SBA.gov website has a lot of very good information on how affiliation works. And essentially it's about control and vote. If there is a majority of control or if there's an ability to stop action by the other entity, that is, if you could veto an action uh, and, and your, and your uh, approval is required, then that's an affiliated uh, company typically. But again, I, I don't want to try to give, try to give any more detail than that because you really sure. need to read those regs. And, and would it be fair to assume um, if, if, if I'm a franchisee and I have previously gone through that process and received an SBA loan in the past that that 
that means I would be eligible now, or is that not a fair assumption? That I mean, that strikes me as the right assumption because I don't know that they've become any more restrictive. In fact, if anything, the classical affiliation rules have become a little less restrictive in certain places. So I think that is a good starting place, a good presumption. Obviously, I'm going to tell you, you need to double check those rules before you decide to go forward. But that's a that's a good starting spot if you believe that already, if, if that has been true in the past. So maybe you have lost on, on people listening that, you know, are heads down trying to work uh, really hard at the moment that haven't had a chance to fully digest what, you know, the stimulus package actually does. Um, but it, in case anyone has missed it uh, out in the, um, you know, just listening to the news or in, in this you know, particular recording, um, if you do qualify um, and, uh, and, 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 and there's no issues that pop up. This is actually a forgivable loan. I think assuming you keep your staffing levels, right? If you, if you keep your employees employed, you get a, you know, two and a half times, uh, your, your, uh, payroll, um, from a, a previous period, um, in 2019, um, you get that loan. If, if you keep that staffing level, um, for a particular period of time, is it that you, this is a forgivable loan? It is. Well, and, and the rule is essentially, remember, we calculated the loan based on two and a half times payroll. Um, the loan itself can be used, seven, it, at least 75% of it has to be used on payroll in order to forgive that portion of the loan. The other 25% can be used for utility, it can be used for interest on mortgage payments, or it can be used for leases. Assuming those utilities, mortgage, or a, a rental agreement were in place before February 15th. So obviously this there is not the intention that you could get this and then go out and sign a better lease. <laughs> right. Hopefully so, nobody's uh, doing that these days. That's right. But even if you didn't, even if you didn't qualify, going back to our position that we thought it was going to be necessary and maybe it wasn't as necessary, or the truth is you needed the cash, but it's not because your payroll is so big. It's because you needed it for other functioning parts of the business that don't get you up to that 75% level. Then you just don't get that amount forgiven. It's still a loan that's a two-year loan at an interest rate of 1%. Even wow. the interest only, even the it's it, it's interest only for two years, starting at when the when the money is distributed, and it's only one percent until then, and you get six month deferral of any kind of interest payment at all. So it's a really good deal for an operating business in any case. But yes, if you can spend enough of it on payroll, seventy five percent of what you got, you'll actually get the whole loan forgiven. So the first like tranche of this, um, I think three hundred fifty million dollars went really fast. Um, and and they've just you know authorized uh, another you know significant tranche. Have you seen or or do you know how fast that's going? I, I don't. I have no insight on the the actual process of funding. So I do know just from some of the things we were reading and going through that one of the things that happens is you get banks. So many banks are working through this process. They have so much interest. And so that they try to standardize the way that they're applying for it. And then they put it through in batches. And it's my understanding just personally, as I was sort of seeing how all this was happening, that those batches started going through from major institutions. And once that happened, of course, we soaked that money up pretty quick because there's so many businesses out there that have a need for this. And so because after the first tranche, we had so many of those requests that weren't able to be fulfilled, but were already prepared by so many financial institutions 
that I can only suspect this will go pretty quickly also because now we already have all those people standing in line ready to pull the trigger. So as soon as that opened up, of course, the website crashed, not surprisingly, and uh, was sort of a back and forth a little bit on the first day it opened. And I, I'm just not sure where we are right now. It seems to me that there's a high willingness to keep this going, though. And and if if people are afraid that, like, look, this like this looks like this is going to dry up pretty quickly and I'm just never going to get in line, that you probably will, you know, be never in line at the right time. I'm assuming that like once you file and you do your application that you at least get your place in line. So we should probably be encouraging restoration contractors. If you think you apply and you need it, or you think you, you know, um, uh, qualify and you need it that regardless of if we think this money is running out, get in line and, and, you know, let's hope that our elected officials keep, um, you know, funding these programs as long as we need them. I couldn't agree with that more. And if you find out you didn't need it, there's no prepayment penalty. You just give the money back. That's great. Uh, so, I, yeah, I would absolutely suggest getting in line as quickly as possible. That's for certain. So we've spent a lot of you know this conversation and, and, and all the press seems to me to be about the you know PPP or the Payment Protection Program. Is there anything else that's that's going on that our listeners should be you know paying attention to or the- knowing? Yeah. I mean, one of the major changes, it's true that uh, PPP just took all the oxygen out of the room and everyone was focused on that. And because, uh, you know, even in the even as the government proposed it, you know, they 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 said first come, first serve. Well, that, of course, causes a crush <laughs> yeah. of applications. And so, that's right. yes, that's what's gotten all the interest. But there are some significant tax changes that have occurred that that are that everyone should know about because it's going to impact you in almost any circumstance. Um, a couple of those I'll go over. Number one, if you recall, when we had the new tax changes from the Trump administration, we, to the extent you were dealing with this, we had net operating loss rules that came into play. And there was a limited number. There were They were called excess business loss limitations. And then you couldn't carry losses back. Um, well, now that has changed. We can now, again, carry losses backwards and forwards. And what occurs is that we've, we've had some other changes as well, like uh, some clarity on when you can take 100% bonus depreciation, some um, increases in the interest deduction that are available for certain entities. And so what can happen is you can look now at your 2019 return, for instance, and say, maybe I had a loss, but I couldn't do anything with that loss. So I was going to have to carry it forward. Now with these new rules, you can carry it back, which means you maybe need to be filing for an amended return for 2018 or earlier to say, because I can now create a net operating loss backwards, I get a refund for those years. And there are actually some forms that you could talk to your CPA about to get essentially a quick refund. You can just do the quick calculation of now that these new rules are in place, when I roll my net operating losses backwards, what is that going to look like and what kind of refund should I be allowed to take? That's one of the major changes. Another major change that that applies is there is a deferral that is available for any payroll tax deposits that you would otherwise make. Those have been deferred for the most part. Again, you need to talk to your CPA about this, but for the most part, the the, um, those payments are deferred until 50% is due in 12-31-2021 and the other 50% 12-31-2022 with no interest. So that's essentially a free loan free from loan. the government saying you don't have to pay your payroll taxes. You can use that for something else. 
above and beyond that to the extent you're keeping people employed and you're using your, there are payroll and sick leave and paid family leave credits that will actually eliminate in many cases your need to make that payroll payment in the future. So it's a, it's a, a way of trying to get cash back in taxpayers' hands, business owner hands immediately by essentially not making them pay an obligation that was otherwise Let, due. Let's click in on that one because I think that's a, that's a really important one that did not get a lot of press. Yes. And 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 I'm assuming it in and, and I am not the one who who handles this in at the next year organization. Yeah. But I'm assuming this is not just an automatic deferral. Like you have to actually take some action to to start deferring those payments. I, I, I'm, I'm unaware actually of you having to do that. Now there may be a notification or something that needs to be uh, sent with that payment or w when the payment would be due. Honestly, I don't know that. I don't think there's enough clarity on that. And I, I also have not specifically gone through the payment process, but that deferral is pretty robust. And so before you make any payments, any further payments, or even if you want to get a refund of payments, maybe already made, definitely need to talk to your CPA because this is going to be coming up everywhere. Yeah, if your C, you know, for anyone listening, if your CPA has not already reached out to you, I suggest being proactive and reaching out. I know a lot of our um, clients and and our listeners are probably using ADP payroll or QuickBooks uh, payroll. I don't know that it's automatic, and if it's not automatic, um, and you need to take some action to start deferring um, your um, your the 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 payroll tax, that's a significant you know uh, lever for you. It's a like. Chris said, basically a interest-free loan. There is zero reason not to take advantage of that. The only thing I would you know, recommend is make sure you don't uh, um, you know, get caught later um, with not having that money saved you know, appropriately. But in day, this day and age, you know, cash is king. And if the government's allowing you to uh, um, defer making payments uh, without any interest, I would absolutely take them up on it. And I would also mention, you know, we do have some wonderful CPAs reaching out to our clients. We are, of course, trying to contact as many clients as we think can take advantage of this and just make sure they're aware of it. But I would also say if your CPA hasn't called you, have some grace about that. Recognize that there is so much happening that your advisors are so overwhelmed right now that I'm certain that you're in line. And if you and be proactive, I completely agree with you, Garrett, yeah. on that. Always be proactive. But if they haven't reached out to you just yet, it's not because they're asleep. Don't fire the them. That's right. <laughs> yeah. I promise you that. But definitely, yeah, I would definitely, I think that's a, that's a big lever, not one that's been, you know, talked about uh, uh, enough probably. Uh, and I think uh, every single one of uh, the people listening to this will be able to take advantage of and, uh, and should absolutely do that. Um, what else? Is there anything else that uh, um, has been... Uh, um, happening that uh, uh, we should be thinking through? Yeah, well, you know, I, one of the things that I, I bring up whenever we talk about this is just, it's interesting, first of all, how it happened in many ways, especially dealing with tax law as I have, you know, we so frequently see the end of the road that is legislation says that, you know, this is going to be true until X date. And so we think, well, good, we have plenty of time. The government will be working on the solutions before X date. And then, of course, you end up just days before it. They, they, they hammer something through that seems unworkable. And I've certainly experienced that many times over the years. This is actually relatively surprising in how effective it is. I mean, don't get me wrong. There are going to be a ton of horror stories coming out of this about how things got messed up 
up and things could have been better. But given the pace with which this had to happen and the interest in just getting cash back in people's hands, it's actually done a very nice job considering how difficult, like I said, tax law and the like is to get out of Washington. So I'm, I'm pretty impressed with that all total. And much of it had to do with the fact that we just went through this major tax change uh, when, when the Trump administration began and we, yeah. you know, it was 2017. Well, a lot of that was already top of mind. So we could essentially just go back and undo some of the things that d- didn't make it as easy for us to get some money back. So that was very good. Also, you just cannot rely on almost anything without checking on the latest. For instance, the legislation sure. itself essentially says this is for payroll, including, for instance, uh, independent contractors. Well, then the regulations come out and they just speak against that entirely. They essentially take the opposite position saying, actually, those those uh, advisors, though, I'm sorry, those independent contractors can apply for their own PPP, which is correct. It's just very unusual to see essentially legislation be counteracted by the regulations themselves. That's just, it's, that's just an interesting example of the speed with which all this is happening. I think that's an important point for for our listeners, for sure, because mm-hmm. uh, a lot of their work is done through subcontractors. And and so, you know, I guess the the answer is you can't use uh, the PPP funds to, to fund subcontractors. It's got to go to your own internal payroll. That's right. And they and they and talk to your subcontractors about applying for themselves. <laughs> right. That's exactly right. So, you know, one of the things that you mentioned that I, I thought was really interesting is this idea of going back and, and taking uh, some of the tax changes that might benefit you and looking at years past. Uh, and I know you probably can't answer this, uh, but I'm a, I've been told, or at least, you know, it's a, maybe at least an old wise tale that I'm following. Like, you don't want to go back and typically amend uh, previous tax years because it typically flags for audit. I'm assuming those kind of old rules are out, out the window now. Not that we can't be flagged for audit for any reason, but I'm assuming a lot of people are going to be taking advantage of the ability to go back and, and uh, amend their taxes. And so people won't be standing out. Does, does that sound? I, I, I think that's exactly right. right. And and I think so. And you're certainly not going to be alone in, in being one of, one of the people who chooses to amend a return because the laws are different. I mean, and I'm assuming they're encouraging. Was that done with the with the intent to encourage that? Absolutely, absolutely. Okay. And some of those, like I said, some of those forms for quick refunds exist for exactly that reason. So I can't tell you whether or not you know the the, the IRS is very protective of of what algorithm they use for audit uh, <laughs> right. flags. But I, you will certainly not be alone in doing this, and it's absolutely as expected, in my opinion. So I don't think that would be much of an issue. And even some of those forms, again, this is an issue for your CPA. You need to talk through this, but even some of those forms essentially say that if you are going to try to amend a previous return based on these new changes, you are not, you don't have to necessarily open your statute of limitations for audit. So if you're already through the audit period of those returns and you open them again, I I assume you're certainly subject to audit on whether or not your current calculations are correct, but you don't necessarily open that whole return to be re-examined. Again, talk to your CPA about that, but there's a little bit of protection in there. Yeah, lots to look into. I think definitely everyone should be scheduling a call with their CPA. And, and I think Chris is right. Just because they haven't reached out doesn't mean it doesn't apply to you. Just probably means that they're extremely busy. And as you know, they say the squeakiest wheel gets the oil. So, That's right. you know, I would absolutely be in front of your CPA here as quickly as possible to make sure you're taking advantage of uh, all of these changes. Because it sounds like uh, at least, uh, you know, for the restoration industry that a lot, you know, will apply to them. 
Chris, what what surprises you about the CARES Act and and the related uh, legislation? Is is there any things that surprise you? You know, the biggest surprises really are, like I said, once you sort of digest it a little bit and you recognize this was pretty effective. Um, they were very quick, but the but the speed did not hamper their ability to really get some cash out. Um, and and again, the surprise comes back to. Uh, you cannot necessarily, it's very unusual to say you can't rely on the legislation. I mean, that's that's it. That's literally the law. <laughs> right. So you should be able to rely on that. But in fact, it gets interpreted differently because they realize the way we initially meant this is not the most effective way of doing it. So you got to double check. And then you even have people in the government coming out and saying, hey, people shouldn't be applying for this if it's not absolutely necessary. Well, now suddenly, even though I read those instructions a week ago that said, is it necessary? I felt much more comfortable checking the box then. Now, if I hear someone saying, boy, it better really be necessary. That's what we mean by necessary. Then suddenly you kind of got a gut check a little bit and go, okay, is it necessary for me? And, and I, if I do believe that it is or probably will be, then I should have no concerns. But it does give you a sense that, oh, they, you know, some of this stuff seems formulaic and some of it isn't. And, and there's an opportunity to be audited and have to answer for that in the future. So you just want to pay attention to that. It's, it's the pace of change, I guess, is the surprise. Yeah, I think this is one of the this whole situation is uh, is extremely fast moving. I know that anyone I talk to that I haven't talked to, you know, since before you know covid started and we had the shutdown it feels like a whole nother lifetime that, you know, years it <laughs> it's just so much is happening so fast and and this information i think is is really critical um and hopefully this is a, a digestible format for people i, I want to pivot to something else since i've got you but before i do was there any anything on this topic that you think you know i didn't ask that i should have asked or um that that we should be talking about before i, I ask you a different uh line of questioning? I don't, I don't think so. I would just say, again, everyone needs to pay attention, stay up to speed on what's happening because there'll be more changes. In fact, a lot of these changes, you know, we say they came out of the CARES Act, but in fact, they came out of some things before then and they're a piecemeal legislation that's happening quickly. You know how government works. Like I said, I was relatively impressed, but it's still, there's more happening all the time. And so you just got to really stay on top of it to understand what the latest is and what uh, what opportunities there. I'm certain, for instance, that there will be additional tax advantages coming out of this at some point in the future. We just got to pay attention to it so that we make sure we can take advantage. Oh, I really appreciate uh, all the information that, that uh, you're able to share here. And I appreciate Wells making you available. Before we let you go, it, having somebody like you uh, is, is a, a rare opportunity. And one of the things that I know restoration owners uh, are, are thinking about these days that I think is you know, applicable to COVID and, and maybe even the pandemic here is, is starting to spark some of these thoughts um, if they weren't already in uh, contractors' minds already. But, you know, a lot of these businesses are are generational. Um, mm -hmm. You have uh, a dad or, you know, a grandfather or grand, you know, grandparents that started their business or you know, parents that started the business, they're passing it down to their kids. Um, and, and so... Uh, what is your thoughts on, on generational um, planning and how business owners, especially um, uh, our business owners, um, can, can think about these things? And what should they be thinking about uh, in light of COVID or, you know, just, in, you know, uh, even without COVID? 
Yeah, well, I mean, that's a, that's a really good question. And this has been a really pressing issue. It's a great. It's just like your point before. If you were talking to someone prior to COVID, try to carry on that same conversation now. It will devolve yeah. into a COVID conversation before you know it. So that's, like, that's, right. just, that's just the way it is. But this is a conversation we have been having before, and it's only now heightened because of COVID, which is a lot of our, our successful clients and a lot of the people listening, right, do have these multi-generational businesses that are valuable. Well, as you probably know, there is a gift and estate tax regime within the United States, and you can't simply shift value to the next generation without dealing with that. And at least, and, and there is an, a gift and estate tax rate of 40% above and beyond exemptions that exist. So you have a certain exemption, you're, an amount you're allowed to transfer during life. After that, you have to pay this big, you have to pay a 40% tax to do it. So essentially and, people are paying taxes throughout their entire lives. They're being business taxes, et cetera. If something happens to them, they die and they are above the exemption, they're going to pay an additional 40% death tax. That's exactly right. That is, that, that is exactly the way it should be described because that's exactly the case. Um, so that is a huge issue because you can imagine no publicly traded in, uh, institution, for instance, or really any successful business could afford to pay 40% of its own value to the government every generation. It just wouldn't survive. Yeah. So we've got to come up with ways to ensure that that's not necessary using the using the strategies that are available. And we right now, because of those those uh, changes, the tax law changes that occurred with the Trump administration, we have very large exemptions. They're in excess of $11 million per person. And what that means is you can move up to $11 million of value around. You can move it to, to children. You can move it anywhere you want without paying any taxes. Above and beyond that, you pay a 40% tax. But the problem is that extra exemption we have, that huge exemption of $11 million, is scheduled to expire in 2026 and come back down to the three, three and a half million dollar exemption. It was, or maybe the five million dollar exemption. Excuse me, with with inflation going forward. So, and there's means- no, and there's no guarantee that that depending on the political landscape, and we don't get political here on uh, <laughs> on yeah. this uh, uh, podcast. But um, regardless, depending on the political landscape, there really is no guarantee that there would be any exemption, theoretically, they- right? Well, I, I will. Yeah, I'll do some political prognostication for you, at, at least in that. And I think I think we can be safe doing that, which is it's it's scheduled to expire in 2026. But that's only as good as the legislation that exists. So you can absolutely imagine if we were to see a shift in the White House from a political perspective, that one of the first things they might look at is this large exemption that exists because ostensibly, of course, just by definition, that only impacts the top 0.01%, let's say, of the taxpayers. And unfortunately, right now, those are the kind of taxpayers that are of the focus of so much of the political conversation right now. So you've heard all these conversations about wealth taxes and this idea that, you know, if, and of course this is from, from uh, most of these were proposed by people who are no longer running, but there was this general idea that at a certain wealth level, we should be taking certain percentages of that and redistributing that wealth. Well, that's unconstitutional for a lot of reasons, or at least many would tell you that's an unconstitutional tax and it'd be very difficult to administer. But the estate and gift tax is not unconstitutional and it's not difficult to administer. And it is exactly the same thing, right? Instead of a wealth tax on an annual basis, it's a wealth tax on a generational basis. And so if we have a business that we want to ensure we're not having to give a significant portion of to the government, we need to utilize some of those exemptions now to protect that business. Yeah, and and my understanding, which is 
not not very uh, uh, deep, is that th- this is something that you can't just wake up one day and say, "I'm going to start the strategy today." You know, if two years before I think I'm going to pass away, like this is something that the earlier you you start, the easier it is to. Um, protect yourself from a potential death tax. Is that is that right? Well, I mean that that's that's a hundred percent correct if for two reasons. Number one, you could do something quick, but it would be bad. It would not be anywhere near as effective as you could have been. For instance, we have a lot of clients with very valuable businesses, and they say, "I want to protect some portion of this business, or maybe all of the equity, so it so at least the value of the equity, so I don't have to pay an estate tax ultimately when I'm trying to transfer this to the children." But our clients would understandably say. I don't want to put this in the hands of my children. There's absolutely no need to do that. We can set up trust environments that will leave you in essentially total control of the investment decisions. You will retain total control of the business operations and all decisions made therein until any time that you want to give it away or until ultimately, of course, you pass away. If you tried to do it in a heartbeat or because, you know, like you say, we we find out there's going to be a tax change and so you try to get it done in a week, you're not going to be able to set up the structures that are going to accomplish all of your goals and keep you in the in the kind of position you want to be in while still taking full advantage. So that's a critical one. And the other major issue is we can see uh, really impactful growth over time. So if I'm planning right now with a business that's worth $10 million, I can protect 80% of that business that's $8 million. And now when it doubles in size multiple years from now, $16 million is protected rather than eight. Well, if I don't do any planning and it goes from 10 to 20 million, it's wonderful that I've had that success, but now I've done no planning. So now I've got a much bigger asset I have to deal with. Had I gotten in front of that earlier, it would have been far more uh, successful. Yeah, I think it, so. And, and I know one of the strategies for doing that is is using a is a grat. Um, it, a, I might give I might be getting way a, too deep here for this podcast, but um, but I, I think one of the things that would be really applicable to to our listeners is you know as you know how you value your business today versus how it will be valued in ten years. Um, you know, being able to transfer a portion of that to your kids now. Um, and then, uh, you know, solidifying what that value is today, getting that, uh, you know, an actual valuation done and then getting kind of, uh, credit for that pop, uh, in, in a, in a tax or death tax free way is a strategy that you've got to start now. If you want to take advantage of it, if you wait till you've, you know, you've built the successful business that, uh, you, you plan to, to build, you just don't get to take advantage of that that pop if you already plan to give it to your kids. And, and so it, I know we'd all have a lot to, to, to do right now, given COVID, but I think COVID makes us think more about our own mortality and, you know, helps, we should be thinking about, um, you know, our contingency planning, et cetera. And uh, am, am I right? Am I saying anything here that is, is off base? Nope. You're, you're exactly right. And you're exactly right about a grad. I will talk, so I'll talk tax acronyms for as long as you want. Grantor retained <laughs> annuity trust is what that is. There's another, there's another similar strategy uh, that can even be more effective, but you're exactly right. When we try to do it later after we've seen great success, it can be done. Um, but it, but, it's much harder. And I would also, I, I always pause on this and say, if you want to give it to the kids, this is a great strategy. That's true. But let's not even say give it to kids. 
if it's important for you to set aside this value that you're creating, if ultimately you want that to benefit your family instead of charity, for instance, or instead of selling it to a third party or, or, or giving money, it to the government or giving it to did. the government, if that's what you want to do, that you're, you're free to do it. But if your desire is to protect the wealth and the success you've had for your family, you need to be thinking about those strategies. Now, again, it does not mean putting it in your children's hands. It means putting it in, in structures that will allow you to protect it for your children. Yeah, and I just think like we we don't know you know the political landscape and what it's going to be in 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 out years and you know today twenty two million dollars may sound like a lot which I think is if uh, kind of the married couple uh, exemption yep um, but one that's expiring and two it, it can it could change at any point and and your ability to to defend against that diminishes as, as time goes on. Um, and so I think there's some urgency around this. I also think, you know, as more, you know, as unfortunately COVID makes us think of our you know, mortality yeah, uh, in ways that, you know, uh, I've not been comfortable <laughs> with recently. Yeah. Um, uh, like just having a will um, or not having a will, God forbid, is is not necessarily enough for business owners. Is that right? <laughs> even if even if maybe you are a small mom and pop. Um, restoration company, should you be considering trusts or is there a level of value that that's just not uh, necessary? Oh, I think uh, definitely you should be considering trust if you have any kind of business. Now, the question is, what kind of trust are you going to set it up during life? Is it irrevocable or is it a revocable trust that you set up? But you absolutely need to think what would happen if I got hit by the proverbial bus tomorrow? Where would the value of this business go? And where would the control of this business go? And those two do not have to be the same, but we need to plan for both of them. And these are very difficult topics. Like, I, so very. I've been through a, a similar process recently and it is very uncomfortable. And I think potentially, at least for me, I don't know if this is true for others, but I know I put it off for a long time because I just didn't even like having the conversation yep. like there even just a, a weird superstition about talking about your own death or your partner's death like there, there is a, it's just not a fun conversation to have and so I remember through my process uh, uh, the the people I w was working with were really frustrated with me I think because I wasn't responding fast because I didn't sure. really want to have the conversation you know with my family or even have to confront you know members of your family with are you the next in line to take care of my kids? Like there's a whole host of not just, yes. you know, financial items you have to think through and power and control of your business, but just, you know, if you've got young kids who who's going to take care of them, these are difficult conversations to have. And someone who, you know, now I'm sort of on the other side of that. Uh, I, I just uh, think got to get past that because it not have, I feel so much better now having you know, kind of a, a, a framework for having those discussions is that am I alone in that or is that a is that typical? That, that is incredibly typical, especially, you know, when we talk to business owners and there's really two reasons it's difficult. Right. So the first is exactly what you're talking about. It's just morbid to think about your own passing. And it's, not something, it's not something we all do very frequently. And, and this essentially obligates you to do that and say, what would happen otherwise? And so you've already got a hurdle of getting things implemented. But then there's the second hurdle. And it's just as critical as implementation when you have a small business you've got to communicate those plans. And you think it's uncomfortable to think about death, you know, then you're trying to communicate to others that I'm mortal. And when I go, or if I go in the short term, here's what I want to have happen. And here's my plan for the long term, because successful transitions, whether it's because you're retiring or whether because it's a third party sale, 
any of those things or whether or not it's because you've passed away and you're trying to give it to the family, it's got to come with communication. So there's really two aspects of that that are uncomfortable, thinking about your own death and then talking to others about it. But both are absolutely critical. And to your point, once you get over those, you're sort of extra freed from them, right? It's sort of like uh, it's like finding out you were already exposed to COVID and you have the antibodies. You're free to go. Like you're, right. <laughs> you can do whatever you want, you know, like that. That's By the way, we're not giving up. we're not giving medical advice either on this show, That's so right. we don't know that you are free to go if you That's have the right. antibodies. Good so point. please uh, <laughs> consult point. with your doctor. Right. Um, uh, look, so obviously, like we've just you know dipped our toe into this conversation, That's and right. and we're you know you know near an hour in. Mm-hmm. Um, if if I'm a restoration contractor or you know anybody, frankly, and I'm going, gosh, I haven't thought about any of this yet. And not that I'm really excited to, but yeah, you know, COVID is making me think of things differently. Where do you go? So I know like at Wells, uh, Wells Fargo, um, it, you know, I, I think, you know, most uh, uh, people who work, work with you guys will have access to some level of help there. Um, it, what's the right entity to go to and, and without knowing much to know that I need some generational planning and, and some help? Who would, who should people go to? Well, certainly if you have a relationship with Wells Fargo Private Bank, I could tell you exactly who to go to. Right? And that's, <laughs> that's our team, the wealth strategist. Sure. You will have a strategist on your team that would be available to talk about any of these things. And a lot of institutions have people like us in there. Um, I will tell you very honestly, and maybe not so objectively, but very honestly, that we have the most robust team. So we, you definitely have someone available to you through Wells Fargo if you're within the private bank. If not, it's, um, you know, there are a lot of almost any sort of uh, affluent financial advisor, I should say a financial advisor of affluent people, successful business owners, etc., will probably have a certain amount of knowledge or at least have someone to send you to who can begin the conversation. And then, of course, ultimately, you will need to get legal advice. I know a lot of people are trepidatious about doing that in the first place because they don't necessarily want to run up a you know $2,500 bill just to get some right. information. So I totally understand that. But at the end of the day, you will need to be represented as part of the process. So I, I would say start with whoever's providing you the most financial advice and see where they can send you. And if not, then um, reach out, reach out to Wells Fargo, reach out to a number of places that have essentially financial or wealth planners. That's what you're looking for. I'm assuming that at at a bare minimum, I can walk in and talk to my CPA or my attorney and at least get more direction on this. Uh, Like this conversation should just prompt some action on people's parts, you know, potentially. But if I, if I'm not, you know, part of Wells Fargo or the private bank or, or any other institution that, that would have a natural place for me to go, this is another reason to reach out to your CPA and have a conversation. Is that right? That's absolutely. And they're going to have enough knowledge to help you a little bit or to tell you where to go, where to go. You be thinking about. And they'll know your specific situation better. So as when you try to look, if you just tried to Google, for instance, what I said, you know, the, the spectrum of opportunities are so large that CPA, knowing your business, having done the returns will understand, give you more directionality. So it's not such a huge field that you have to call from. So like, as CPAs are incredibly busy right now and everyone's got to prioritize what they're working on, I think, you know, to circle back to some earlier conversations, like maybe start with, do I get to, or everyone gets to, so how do I defer my payroll taxes um, and how do I plan for that? Um, maybe uh, going through the, you know, am I, do I qualify for the, the payroll protection mm-hmm. uh, program? And, you know, please don't forget to, you know, if we don't have a, uh, a generational wealth transfer strategy, um, no matter you know what your level 
um, uh, of current success or where you expect your success to be, um, there should be at least some consideration of that, um, even if you think that you're not going to hit the $22 million uh, um, exemption. We don't know how long that would be. Is, is that all fair statements? Entirely. Yeah, I, I agree with all that. I would say PPP first. If you think you if you think you if you think you qualify and you want get an application in with whoever your lender currently is, if not, find someone who's doing it. Then I would absolutely get to the CPA, talk about the tax changes. Do you not have to make payroll taxes? Is it possible you can get a refund? And then to your point, exactly. You don't have to be outside of the exemptions. Maybe you'll never have to pay an estate or gift tax. You still need to be very clear about what we want to have happen. What is the future of this business? And what if something unexpected happened again? Where would where would the ownership go? Where would the control go? And are those definitely going to the right places? We've got to ensure you that. you mentioned you know a bunch of tax changes that have been happening. Is there any other non COVID related tax changes that would affect small smaller businesses like these that we should be thinking around? Yeah, um, the one of the one of a major change that sort of goes along with this overall planning concept is you may remember in, late in the Obama administration there were some regulations released by the Secretary of Treasury that said, you know, in some of this planning and some of this estate planning or gift planning, we find that people use family-owned businesses to create valuation discounts. They intentionally compress the value of their business so that it's a smaller either tax or they they use up less exemption as they shift it into something for their children. Yeah. There were regulations that said we're not going to allow those discounts in many of those circumstances. But when the Trump administration came in, they ordered this he ordered the Secretary of Treasury to to shelve those regulations. So they never got implemented, which gave us a lot of freedom. It, we we re, we retained the freedom from a tax perspective that we'd always had. However, if the White House shifts again, those regulations are not unwritten, right? They're just sitting there on the shelf and could be pulled off and implemented immediately. So that could be true January of next year. We could lose those valuation discounts. And if that's, if that's an important part of some of the strategies that you're looking at, boy, we got to take advantage of it quick because we could lose it very soon. Does that mean get your valuation? So if you're thinking about I want to value my company now so I can take advantage of the the increase in value over time. Does that mean get your valuation done now? Is That's that right. essentially what That's you're right. saying? That's essentially right. Get it done sometime this year. Get your transfer in place. Get whatever the strategies you're going to put in place. Let's get that implemented this year before those before the valuation rules change. So for those that are like home, just Netflixing and chilling uh, as you're uh, you know, trying to stay quarantined, maybe these are additional things that you can look into uh, as uh, you know, we may wake up in a different political landscape uh, come January. That's right. That is right. Well, Chris, this I think has been really uh, invaluable and I appreciate your time and all the uh coordination it took to kind of get you here and get the compliance to, to make sure that uh, um, that this was okay and that we wouldn't uh, run afoul of any regulations. I, I hope we did a good job with that um, and uh, um, that I didn't ask you anything that uh, would, would pose any, any, any trouble for you. But I really appreciate uh, all of your time and your insight and, and I'm sure that uh, the people who are listening to this uh, appreciate it as well. Hey, I really enjoyed it, Garrett. Thank you. It was an honor to be here. Well, stay safe uh, to you, Chris, and, and to everyone else listening. I, I know these are trying times, and uh, um, I'm excited to be a part of an industry uh, that's going to be a big part of the cleanup effort uh, as we you know come back to whatever uh, new the new normal will look like. 
I uh, hope today's uh, uh, podcast was helpful and and how you think about the current landscape and and how you take advantage of the stimulus um, packages that have been signed as well as uh, the tax changes and regulations that uh, have uh, have been modified uh, as well as just thinking about the way that you protect your family and your and the wealth that you're building as you as you build your uh, businesses uh, and and make sure that we all collectively um, you know have a good plan for um, how to transfer um, not only our, our businesses um, but uh, um, but uh, the the wealth that uh, we're creating so we're not uh, getting taxed twice here so I uh, hope everyone stays safe and uh, thanks for listening thank you for listening to the business of restoration by next gear solutions a podcast exploring technology in the best practices in the restoration industry 